Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. It is opening day, but it's also the start of the Sweet 16. So it is double game day. Well done, Alvy. You see me working, Alvy. Well done. And the Sweet 16 is nice. Really nice. Tonight's games are in the South Region in Louisville and the West Region in Anaheim, right up the road. So why don't we start in the South where you got a three and a two. Purdue and Tennessee. Is that any good? Here's the thing about that first weekend. Not having a ton of upsets. Yes, you do not have any Cinderella's right now. You might not have that great story. Instead, you have great teams. And that frequently will lead to great games. And then you chase that with Oregon and Virginia. Maybe, in fact, no maybe, the nastiest 12 seed that I have ever seen against a one seed that has exercised some demons, but is still looking for two more wins this weekend. How insane is it that the alleged weakest team in the Sweet 16, the biggest long shot to win a title, is an Oregon team that has not lost in over a month. And yes, I know the Pac-12 was down this year. And that winning the Pac-12 tournament is not exactly the greatest accomplishment ever. But have you seen the Ducks? Have you seen Oregon? Have you seen the way they get after it? Have you watched them over the past month? They create a lot of problems. A lot of problems. And then you've got the other region. The West region. Better known as the Jim Rome Invitational. The region of Van Smack. I don't play favorites. But damn, this is a likable group of teams. All of them. Florida State v. Gonzaga, 7.09 p.m. Eastern, CBS. Texas Tech v. Michigan, 9.39 p.m. Eastern, CBS. Leonard Hamilton v. Mark Few. Chris Beard v. John Beeline. Four absolute legends of this program and of college basketball. That's three Hall of Famers in that four. And if Beard continues doing what he's doing, And what has done in the last three years at Tech, he is on that same trajectory as well. Beard would be the first one to tell you that his resume is the weakest of the four guys in that region. A resume, though, which includes a dominant Tech team to the Elite Eight in year two and a conference title in year three, and that's after losing an All-American and a lottery pick. It's incredible what this guy's doing at Texas Tech. I mean, back in the day, if Tech lost an All-American and a lottery pick, they'd be down for years, maybe never even come back. Instead, they're in the Sweet 16, and they're eating Lucky Charms out of glass bowls with the kind of silverware that you get as a wedding present. Life is damn good for the Red Raiders. What I'm saying is the karma is strong with these four programs and they're here in California for these games. In fact, they're in my backyard. They're in my backyard and the Rome family is attending. The only way this region could be any more Van Smack is if they were playing in my actual backyard. My actual backyard. Like FSU and Gonzaga playing in the backyard while Tech and Michigan are stretching and having their pregame talk in my living room. So yes, this is a damn good Sweet 16. Only one problem with it. And it's got nothing to do with the teams and everything to do with the people talking about those teams and a word that they insist on using. Chalk. Chalk. I tried to warn all of you on Monday, but none of you would listen. Because everywhere you look, the word chalk is being used to describe the bracket. 
It could not be any more tired. It could not be any more lame. Folks, this word has been around for a long time. It's been around for a while. It's not new. It's not fresh. But everyone is using it like they think they came up with some hot new slang. Like, I know you think you sound cool when you say chalk, except it's not. You think you sound cool, but really what you actually sound like is, I don't know, those Toledo newscasters who went viral last night? Warning, this is brutal, extremely brutal, so brutal and so graphic. Oh my God, look at that. They showed it again. This is so graphic that I can't play the video. I cannot play the video, just the audio. And I'm only doing that as a public service. Again, if you're using the word chalk and you think you sound cool, this is really what I hear. Good morning, TPS students. It is testing week, and it's time to slay all day. Yeet. Stay woke, beyond fleek, and get that Gucci breakfast. Goals. Say bye, Felicia, to that testing stress. Weather's going to be turnt, right, Chris? Yes. Toledo weather going to be the lit during testing week. A hundo P chance of success. You've got this, kids. Steve, how about that traffic? Are we looking oh, better than oh? We're talking turn, FOMO, won't be an issue. No traffic problems around any TPS schools to keep you from taking those tests. All right, so what that was was the news crew at WTOL in Toledo. It's got to be fake, right? There is no way a collection of adults just said, slay all day, yeet, stay woke, and bye Felicia to that testing stress. Bye Felicia to that testing stress. It's got to be some sort of robotically engineered deal, right? And yes, I've seen the suggestion that it was something the news crew was doing to motivate students in Toledo who were about to take a test. That's great. That's fine. Except what was motivating about that? I mean, I heard that weatherman yell, yes, yes. Yeah, right. That's really motivating. Nothing wants me to get after it or make me want to get after it and crack open the books. than the weather guy screaming, yes, yes. Seriously, has there ever been anything cornier than that in the history of humanity? That might have been the single corniest moment ever. And I know that saying that this is probably going to have, I mean, me saying this is probably going to have that news guy calling me a hater or that I'm sipping on haterade. Man, but that was brutal. Brutal and corny. Like, my face hurts from cringing so hard. Did that guy also say a hundo P chance of success? A hundo P chance of success. Damn, man. (laughs) That's not even the worst part. Because I'm not sure that I can actually pick out the worst part. But definitely the weatherman throwing it to the traffic guy with an... Was right up there. Damn, man. That is terrible. Terrible and corny. It's like the Urban Dictionary for suburban parents just vomited a bunch of slang. Hello, fellow cool kids. We speak your language. That thing right there, that makes Please Stay LeBron seem like Godfather 2. There comes a time when a decision must be made. Will the king move on or will he stay? Man, this is so crappy and corny. He not only left, he left again. 
He left twice. Same thing. They were serious. Like, that was, that's not a joke. That's serious. I guarantee, and I said it then, I'll say it again right now. If LeBron were on the fence and he were waffling and could not make up his mind, was just agonizing, couldn't sleep at night, what do I do? What do I do? Yes, no, stay, go. I guarantee one of his guys said, hey, man, hey, king, this might help you make your decision. Let me hit play and you listen. And then LeBron's taking it all in. And he's just like, oh, hell no. We're going to push this guy off the fence. This makes my guy A.J. Clemente seem like the ultimate professional. High definition. Good evening. I'm Van Chu. You may have seen our newest A.J. on NBC North Dakota News. And he'll be joining the weekend news team as my co-anchor. Tell us a little bit about yourself, A.J. Um... Thanks, man. I'm very excited. I graduated from West Virginia University, and I'm used to, um, you know, from being from the East Coast. Okay, well, welcome aboard, AJ. Thanks. Go for it. Uh, fatal ATV crash happened. My man Clemente went with a colossal mistake in high definition. High definition. But at least he knew it was a mistake. This crew seems to think they're cool or dope or fresh. Let's just go with the idea that they were trying to do a good thing and motivate students which is cool and fine, but there was nothing about that video that was cool or fine. It's like having your mom and your dad show up to the prom and start grinding on the dance floor and just knock it out right there. Good luck on your tests, TPS students, and good luck finding jobs, WTOL news team. When you need auto parts, but can't get to a store, visit O'ReillyAuto.com. You can buy your parts online and pick them up in the O'Reilly Auto Parts store of your choice. No shipping costs, easy returns, and convenient pickup on your schedule. Shop your way for the parts you need at O'ReillyAuto.com. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Seth Curry is my guest. Seth, it's nice to have you back. How are you? Good, good. How you doing? Good, man. Good. So you guys went to last night's game in a tough spot because of that devastating injury to Yusuf Nurkic on Monday, but I know you were able to FaceTime with him before the game last night. The sound wasn't the best, but how nice was it to see him and let him know you're thinking about him? Nah, it was a great moment um, for us and for him just to, to let uh, let him know we're thinking about him before we head out on the court, see the big fella's face uh, in the locker room, bring it in with him one more time. Um, I mean, it was great. Just try to let him know he's supported. I know he's going through a tough time with that injury. And, and um, like I said, we're just trying to, to give him all the support we can. Good. Seth Curry joining us. So then you go out and you put up 20 in a 118-98 win. You made it look easy, but considering everything that has gone on this past week, what's it say about the team that you were able to go out on the road and get a win like that? I mean, I'm proud, I was proud of the team the way we responded last night. I mean, it was, it was a tough night the other night against Brooklyn. Obviously with the injury, the double overtime game. Uh, we had all the excuses in the world to come out and be um, a little sluggish and not play as well, but we were locked in. We were focused, starting off this this uh, four game road trip. Wanted to do it the right way, and and we're trying to figure out some things without the big fella. So uh, every game is important for us going head into the playoffs. Also, Seth, it's not just the big fella. That's a tough enough loss, but the team has also been without C.J. McCollum, and you've stepped up in his absence with five straight games and double figures, including those three 20-point games. So how are you approaching that challenge? For instance, do you try to consciously dial it up, or do you just do what you do and try to approach it like any other game? I try to keep it simple. try to keep the same mindset, the same approach that I've had all season, but obviously I'm getting a little bit more opportunity, some more minutes, and 
trying to make the most of it, you know. Just can't uh, try to go outside myself or try to play a different game. I can't try to take CJ's plays or his shots or anything like that. I'm trying to, like I said, play the same way within the system. And um, I think everybody's getting involved right now. So it's, we're playing a fun brand of basketball right now. Trailblazer Seth Curry joining us. Uh, Terry Stotts was talking after the game about how much confidence that you've been playing with and about you finding your shot and how this run that you're on right now has made the team better and the rotation different, even for when CJ comes back. So I'm curious, how good does it feel to be on a team that's wrapped up a playoff spot, is battling for positioning, and knowing that you're making a difference? Oh, it feels great. It feels great. I've been in the league about four years now, and I haven't been in the playoffs, so I'm excited about the playoffs, but... I mean, even more so, this team is just getting better every day. Uh, we want to get a, a good seed, but uh, the most important thing is to be playing well heading to the playoffs. And I think everybody who's on the floor right now has a good rhythm. Obviously, we're going to have to integrate CJ back in, and he's going to do what he does. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about the way the team is headed right now and, and the way I'm playing, so it's, it's a good time. Seth Curry joining us. You mentioned being four years in. You and I have talked about your journey in the past because it's really impressive. And as I mentioned, you were undrafted coming out of Duke. You've had a fight for everything. You were a two-time D-League All-Star. You get to the NBA with Memphis and Cleveland, then Phoenix and Sacramento, and then you really establish yourself in Dallas. As you look back, what was that 2016-2017 season in Dallas like for you when you averaged 13 a game? Did you feel like you'd prove something to everybody? Yeah, I think I did, but I mean, even more so to myself and, and to that organization. They gave me a great opportunity to come in and start a good amount of games. We had some injuries, so I was able to, to play a lot of minutes back then and just learn on the fly. And um, I think I showed consistency. I think throughout that entire season, I was able to go out every night and play well for the most part. And um, even though we didn't make the playoffs, I mean, I think a lot of young guys got some good experience, including myself. And I think that just uh, catapulted me to – to doing bigger and better things in this league and giving me a lot of confidence. See, the the other reason I bring that up too, it's all of that, but then you suffered a leg injury and you missed last season. It seems like it'd be really easy to get down at that point because you'd finally established yourself and then the obstacle pops up. So how did you go about dealing with that? Uh, Just try to keep the same mindset. I was uh, fortunate enough to get back on the court late in the summer and um, just work on my game. And anytime I'm in a gym, it's, it's a safe haven for me. It's a lot of fun to get out there and work on my game and, and obviously, I got I got off to a slow start this season, just getting my rhythm back and getting used to playing every single night after missing a year. But I mean, I knew I'd figure it out eventually, and I think that's another reason why I'm uh, getting my legs back under me now and and playing even better. You know, one more thing about that: when you're coming back and you're working your way back, what's the tougher part of rehab? Is it the physical side or is it the mental side? Oh, it's the mental 100 percent because it takes you out of your your lifestyle rhythm. You used to going to practice, going to work out, get your shots up every day, and when you're injured and going through rehab, it's, it's a totally different grind. You're not able to, to work on your game and play like like I've been doing my whole life. So mentally you can get a bit down, but, uh, I mean, like I said, once I was able to get back on the court and get back in my rhythm of, of lifting and working out and, and going to work on my skills on the basketball court, uh, I was right back to it. Yeah, exactly. You're right back to it. I mean, it seems like you've picked up right where you left off. How much pride then is there in the fact that you kept on grinding and you've proven you can go for 20 on any given night in the NBA and especially coming off an injury like that? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I, I had that confidence in myself. It's just a matter of grinding and showing everybody else I'm still that same guy coming back from an injury. You know what I'm saying? It's, I have a great um, opportunity here and a great system in Portland that uh, is good for guards and allows you to play free uh, and I'm just trying to do it on both ends of the floor. 
Seth, one more thing about uh, Nurk. You know it's a physical game. You know injuries are going to happen, but on a personal level, on a personal level, how tough is it to see a player like Nurk, who's having a monster season, suffer a horrific injury like that? Oh, it's tough. It's tough. Like you say, you, you don't want to see it happen to anybody, but to ha- see it happen to Nurk, who's the ultimate team guy, uh, I mean, setting good screens for the guards. He's, he brings that physicality to the game every night, plays hard, is all about winning, and and he's been missed up, like you say, his best season. He's having one of his best games the other night before he got hurt. So, I mean, for a guy like that to go down, it's, it can really set your team back because you want the best for that guy who, who leaves it out on the floor every single night. But, I mean, it's a, it's a part of the game. I mean, everybody knows what can happen every time you step out on the floor, so you don't want to take it for granted. Seth Curry is my guest. I'm on the outside, but on the outside looking in, it looks like you guys have an amazing vibe among the guys in that locker room and a willingness to take on every single challenge. That said, my man, your teammate Evan Turner got off a tweet about you a few months back that is unbelievable. Let me read this. S. Dot, a chill and classy dude, but my guy has a prison mentality when it comes to food. Buddy cut his food like he just came home from doing a bid. LOL. Dude, how fair is that? I mean, do you have a prison mentality when it comes to food, or was it just that the food wasn't that great? That's my guy, but he was really lurking on me on the plane that day. I, mean, he was, <laughs> I think he was looking over my shoulder watching me eat. I was obviously hungry after the game, so I was, I was wasting no time digging into that plate. But Evan's my guy. He's always there for a good joke or two. So uh, uh, you got to watch out when you're around him. Dude, that is such a great response by you. A great tweet by him and an equally great response by you. That is really funny. All right, so finally, I don't want to get into the family business, but the truth is your alma mater, Duke, is taking on your pop school, Virginia Tech, in the Sweet 16 tomorrow. How do you see that game going, and are you going to give your dad some heat if your guys get over? Oh, yeah, we'll talk about it for sure. Might uh, have a small little bet or two on it on the side, but uh, I'm always riding with Duke every, every day of the week, you know. Duke got a good team. They got an opportunity to go all the way. So uh, hopefully I can watch some of it. I know we play uh, tomorrow night as well. So hopefully I can watch some of it and Duke plays well and get to the next round. Hey Seth, any way you give up what some of the side action is in the Curry household? Any way you share that with us? Nah, I can't give it all up. I know y'all heard about the um, the three-point contest bet me and Steph made. And I obviously lost that one. So that's the only <laughs> one I'm going to give up. I got you. I see you working. You got Portland coming up against Atlanta tomorrow. Seth Curry making the most of another opportunity, having a really good year. Seth, great to get caught up. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. All right. Good talking to you. Hey, listen, no matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors. With thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game, when the pressure is on, you can count on Ferguson. Sean Casey. Case, it is so good to have you back. How are you? Robbie, what's up, man? It's opening day. I'm doing great. Sean, it is a tradition. You and I talk on opening day. In fact, it would not be opening day without you. So exactly how are you doing and how fired up are you for this opening day? Oh, man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, mean, I just love opening day. You know, I think when spring training starts, you're excited. But there's nothing like opening day and, uh, you know, getting things kicked off. Especially for me, like, I think I appreciated opening day a ton because – kind of coming up with the Cincinnati Reds and that being such a special tradition in baseball. Uh, you know, I really understood what opening day meant for so many teams. And, and, and just now, even being an analyst for the network, you know, just being able to be a part of it, it's just it's awesome, man. Hey, Sean, really quickly, can you remember what it was like? I'm sure you could. Opening day when you were a player, what kind of emotions were you feeling? What was that like for you as a player? 
Oh man, I tell you what, as a player, you know, you're so excited. You know, it feels it, I've been in the I've been in the World Series and opening and and been a part of opening day. It's kind of that same feeling, just like you're so excited. It's like a playoff atmosphere. It's a packed house. You know, it's going to be sold out. Um, you, it's just it's it's so elevated and and uh, you know, opening day for for everybody is awesome. And I also, from a player's point of view too, it is the one day you look forward to and the one day you look forward to getting over with too, because it's so hyped. It's such a big deal but as a player you still know you have 161 games to go sean casey joining us all right casey as you look around major league baseball what are the teams or the players who are jumping out at you as something you're looking forward to seeing this year Wow, I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, there's so many good teams. I think I, I think the Mets did a nice job of, of bringing some, uh, you know, good players in. The Yankees, top to bottom, are just. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see Judge and Stanton, uh, Stanton having this, you know, second year with the Yankees. You know what he's going to do. Obviously, the Red Sox are great. It's going to be fun seeing new players like Harper and Philly. Uh, you know, he's seeing the ovation he's going to get there and how passionate those fans are. That'll be a cool thing to watch. Machado out in San Diego, obviously the big contracts. You know, will always be a big thing. Um, you know, Eloy Jimenez making the team for the White Sox. I mean, this is a guy that's got some unbelievable. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to be a great player for years to come. He'll be a cool guy to watch. Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr. making that club out in San Diego. I think that'll be a cool storyline to watch. How good are the Astros going to be? Uh, you know, the Cubs. I mean, there's just so much. There's so much here, Romy. You know, there's so many. There's so many good storylines and players, and you know, just the whole Mike Trout contract and what he's going to do. I don't know, man. There's, I'm just fired up for all those things. Always, Sean Casey joining us. You know what I love too. When I say to you, what fires you up about this year? You mentioned not one but two things regarding the Padres. I like that a lot. So, what do you make of San Diego making that big move and that big swing for Manny Machado? I love it, man. I, I love it. You know, I think uh, I think Machado. You know, he's 26 years old. Guy's a stud. Um, you know, he, he brings a ton to the table. The fact that he can play short and third is huge, but he goes to third base where he's gold glove, where, where we can see, finally see this Fernando Tatis Jr. play shortstop. I mean, you know, I think the sky's the limit for him, too. But I think Machado adds so much. I mean, they bring in Hosmer last year. They got Machado over there at third. They have a ton of young prospects that are coming. I think, I think everyone knows that. So, you know, I think A.J. Preller going out and getting, uh, you know, uh, Machado was a, was a huge boost for, the, you know, the Padre organization and those fans. We're talking to Sean Casey. We do so every single year at this time. Case, speaking of third base, I know you spent some time with Nolan Arenado in spring training. There are a lot of great players in the game right now, but he is right near the top of the list. When you watch him play, what impresses you more, his bat or his glove? Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question because – I mean, you know, his bat's what gets him in the MVP race every year, but his glove as a teammate and as a fan, when you watch somebody that plays that kind of defense every play, when they make the plays they do day in and day out, I mean, he's so appreciated. One thing that impresses me so much about Arenado, Romy, is that when you're around this guy, you know, it, there's something, you know, we had just talked to him at spring training this year. He had just signed for that, you know, $260 million or whatever it was. And, you know, he had just signed it a couple of days earlier. And, you know, sometimes, you know, with the network, maybe you get, you know, everyone does. Some people don't do your interviews and some people do. And Arenado comes out and he's with us every interview. He does everything we ask and he does it with like a genuine smile on his face. 
And, and, and when he walked away, I remember I was telling Brian Kenny, man, that's one of the best players in the game right now. Just signed for $260 million. If you saw him on the street, you'd have no idea that he was. He's such a humble guy. So that makes, for me, that elevates him to a superstar player because defensively, offensively, teammate, and, and what kind of a guy he is. He's got a Hall of Fame makeup. He, he is such an amazing guy. And I, I don't think he's changed, really. I mean, we all evolve, but he's still that good of a guy. Sean Casey joining us. Case going back to Bryce Harper. He and the Phillies open up against Atlanta. How do you like the fit for Harper and Philly and in that ballpark in particular? Oh, are you kidding me, man? That's a, really, that's a great place to hit. It really is, man. I think, you know, Harper's, uh, you know, I love it. I, I, listen, the one thing about the, I, when I used to play in Philly, you know, as you come in as a visiting player, it was the one place I would wait, you know, I'd wait in the dugout to go out before, like, the, 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 the somebody would be up, and you, you always have to have somebody on deck. So I'd wait in the dugout until the umpire would say something, hey, you know, it'd be strike one, ball one, now it's a one-one count, and the ump would look over and say, hey, who's on deck? And I'd be like, oh, my bad, I am. You know, so then I'd go, I'd go out there, you know, and that's the fans just start getting on you, you know what I mean? It's the one place in Philly where they're riding you so hard. But you do got to love the passion, and especially when you're a guy like Bryce Harper. You know, I watched it happen with Jim Tomey and, 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 and Ryan Howard, some of the big players that were there. You know, if you do well in Philly and you hit home runs there – and you play hard, I mean, you're going to be one of the, their most favorite players. So if Bryce Harper has an opportunity to really to elevate his, his legendary status by, by, by being successful in Philly. You almost went into story mode, Case. Almost. We'll get there in a second. But yeah. I want to ask you, you caught up because you got the best stories ever. You, you also caught up with Arizona and your old buddy, Tori Lovello. What was it like to play with Tori back in the day? Oh man, you kidding me? Tori's the greatest man. I, you know, I, I came up with the Indians when he, I was just coming up as a prospect, and Tori was just kind of heading out. And we won the championship together in Buffalo in 1997. And I, you know, when I was playing with Tori, I, you know, certain guys you play with that, uh, you know, you, you, you always look and say, man, that guy, that guy looks at baseball different. You know, he, he's on a different level of thinking. And Tori was one of those guys. I always thought, man, he's going to be a great manager one day. And he is. I mean, he, he's turned out to be a great manager. But I always thought that but as a player, when I was a young kid, 23 years old, coming up with the Indians, watching Tori go about his business, I was like, man, that, you know, you can really learn a lot of stuff from just being around a guy like that. Sean Casey joining us like he does every opening day. So, Case, there's a story. Back when you and Tori were in Cleveland, there was a story. There was an actual incident. The incident involved the legendary Hall of Famer and World War II hero, Bob Feller. You know where I'm going with this, but not everybody knows this story. Exactly what happened. Oh, it's an unbelievable story. You know, it was great because I... Tori Lavolo, he's the only guy that he's the only other guy that was there was besides Mike Hargrove. So when we went to spring training this year, some of the I told the guys the story, and it's almost an unbelievable story. But Tori said, "No, it's a true story." So I was with the Indians, you know, I'm coming up, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm behind Jim Tomey and Richie Sexton and I are the two guys behind Tomey. So I got to do anything I can, you know, to try to impress Mike Hargrove. So this one day I come out early. I'm like, all right, I'm going to come out early. I'm going to impress Mike Hargrove. So I go out early, and, and Tori's the only one on the bench. So I'm like, what's up, Tori? Hey, you know, what's up, Case? And I told her, hey, Grover, you know, I'm out, I just want to show you. I'm out here early. I'm ready to go. Well, every day before, before um, the game would start, out in spring training, Bob Feller would, would, was out there, right? Full uni, too. Spikes on. I think he's like 77 at the time. I can't remember. I don't know how old he is, but he's definitely older. And he's got full uni on, and, and, you know, and, the fan, and this is when Cleveland was the best team in baseball, 1998. And the crowd's so excited, so they're like, you know, every day someone throws catch a ball, throw, and, you know, here they go. They, you know, the, the, the PA guy comes on, he's like, all right. He's like, everybody, let's give it up for the greatest, 
You know, ultimately one of the greatest pictures of all time. For the greatest picture of all time, the war hero uh, of our day, the great American Bob Feller, number 19, and then Bob takes his hat off and he, he cheers it up, hands up, place goes crazy. You know, standing ovation, Bob Feller, greatest guy of all time, right? So Mike Hargo says to me, it's a case, why don't you throw a catch with Feller today? I'm like, that's awesome. I got, I, got, I got two hits in the big leagues, and if I throw a catch with Bob Feller, I'll have three stories for the rest of my life. That's what my thinking was back then. You know? I was like, oh, I'll throw a catch with him. So I go out and introduce myself. How you doing, Mr. Feller? You know, he's like, how you doing? How you doing, son? I'm like, hey, I'm Sean Casey. I'm, I'm throwing a catch with you today. Okay, get over there. So I get over. You know, Bob Feller throws me the ball. I get back. I throw it, throw it back to him. Now, I, I throw, throw a couple of lobs to him, and Toy Lavolo's like, Case, he's like, hey, man. Quit showing up, Bob Feller. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you're lobbing it to him, man. You can throw it to him. I'm like, all right, all right. So, you know, I'm saying to myself, okay, I'll, I'll throw it to him. But, uh, Romy, here's the problem. Back then, I kind of had the yips, you know, and I could either lob it or throw it a little harder. Like, there was no in-between, right? So I'm like, okay, I'll back. So I back up like eight steps, and I just nice and easy, boom, and I just I wing him one, right? And there's Feller. Feller's, he's got his glove out, and it's like to, to you know, left of his body. And he's got his arm up, and, I, and the ball just keeps getting closer and closer and closer. I'm like, wow. I'm like, what, what, the, what the hell is he doing? Well, you know, and then, boom, it hits him off his chest. Bam. Down goes Feller. Goes to his knees. Bed, you know, and, and, and his face plants into the ground. I'm like, oh, my God. I go running over. I'm like, oh, my God, Mr. Feller, are you okay? And he's just in the ground like, oh. And I'm thinking to myself in my mind, I'm like, this guy was on the USS Alabama four years. You know, the Japanese kamikaze planes are coming in. This guy's fighting for our country. And here I am. I think I might have killed Bob Feller playing catch with him. So I'm like beside myself, right? And I, I, here comes the EMT out of the stands. Here comes the, you know, the, the training staff out of, out of, out of the um, clubhouse. They back me up. He, they finally get him, get him up. You know, after 10 minutes, they get him to his knees. I'm like, oh, what happened, Mr. Feller? And he's like, oh, he's like, uh, he's like the, 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 the rat over there threw me the ball. He's like, I was golfing the other day, and I must have jammed my shoulder on one of my drives, and I just couldn't get the glove over in time. They're like, okay, so they whisk him off. The crowd's looking at me like they want to kill me, and I'm getting, I'm getting walked off, and Mike Hargo puts his arm around me. He's like, Case, he's like, thank God you didn't kill Bob Feller, because if you did, you definitely would have been released. Oh, <laughs> my God, like, Case. Oh, boy. <laughs> Case, you Bob Fellard, Bob Feller's ass. That is incredible. Case, I, I interviewed him right around that time, certainly not then. But then again, I would have been terrified to even ask him about that. My man, dude, he was fierce. Bob Feller was fierce. That is, dude, Case, for all the stories you have, that might be the all-time Sean Casey story. Uh, it's what were you going to say? And he's the ultimate American hero. Like, he's yes. like the man's man. Like, I heard him one time on the phone, like, talking to somebody. And I was like, I was scared. I was waiting on a payphone in spring training one time. He was talking to somebody. I'm like, I'm so scared to even get within 20 feet of Bob Feller. Like, this guy is the, the real American hero. Like, he's a superhero. Four years of his life over, you know, fighting for our country in World War II. No, it was him. Bob Gibson is the exact same way, man, and also a terrifying dude you never want to mess with. Ted Williams. Case, that, I love that Tory Lovello said, Case, you're showing him up. Don't you show up, Bob Feller. Don't you show up, Bob Feller. So who, I mean, with all due respect to an American hero like Bob Feller, one of the best ever, who got it worse, him or Billy Ripken? <laughs> well, I hit Billy with a wiffle ball right off the face. So uh, I, think, I, think, I think Bob probably got a little worse because I hit, literally hit him with a baseball. And like I said, I had the yips, so I ended up slinging it pretty hard. I, you, know? you smoked that one, though. I mean, yeah, I smoked, I smoked Rip right off the face. And he was like, 
I was working on trying to hit it the other way, and I was like, here you go. And he lobbed me one, and boom, right off his head, and he was not. And Rip's scary, too. Rip's like, Rip will admit. He's like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mad. He's mad. And sometimes Rip, you feel like he's mad at the world. So I'm like, oh, man, don't be mad at me, Rip. Like, I don't need to fight you on air here. Sean Casey is joining us. Absolutely amazing. Case, before I let you go, I want to ask you, I mean, today is Major League Opening Day, but we're just over a month and a half away from Opening Day for the Miracle League of the South Hills. That's May 11th. How much are you looking forward to that, and what does Opening Day there mean to you? Oh, Romy, thanks, man. You know what? Our Miracle League of the South Hills, we have over 350 kids at with special needs and you know that may 11th day for us is, is is like our opening day today for major league baseball you know the kids are excited we get them their uniforms the parents come out we have a whole big uh you know opening day ceremonies and stuff and and uh you know for me you know uh, being being out of baseball and really being involved with the miracle league i mean you know just being part of, of, of these kids lives has been the, one of the coolest things ever for me And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to that day, Romy. It is one of the coolest things ever. He is an MLB Network analyst, a 12-year Major League vet, the president of the board of the Miracle League of the South Hills. MLB Tonight is already underway on MLB Network. It's going to air for seven straight hours today. It's going to feature look-ins of live games and an analysis. And you can watch Sean Casey on MLB Tonight throughout the season. Case, you are an absolute beauty. It goes without saying, man. Love you. Great to have you back. And it's always great to talk baseball with you, Sean. All right, man. Love you too, Romy. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. We are joined right now by Howard Beck. Howard, good to have you back. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, Romy. How are you? If people don't know my reputation with regard to Red Vines, it just means they haven't been listening to your show because you have done more for my Red Vine reputation than probably any single human being other than myself. Well, you certainly earned that. And if they don't know by now, again, I'll say it. It's on them. It's on them. Listen, I want to get to your piece on Dirk and Dwayne in a moment, but let's start with the MVP debate, Howard. You're known for not sending your ballot in early, so I'm not going to ask you for a final decision, but can you tell me which way are you leaning right now? The funny thing about that, Rome, is that two things happened today. I got an email from the league just making sure that I was eligible or that I was willing to vote again this year so that we, with now official, I'll have the ballot, you know, next week. And an editor, uh, email from my editor who said, hey, I know you never do this early. Can you write a column next week about it? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm usually stubborn about being, I, I, I wait to the last minute. I want to see every game. I want to make sure I've got the full, you know, breadth of, of data. And, but yeah, here we go. Um, I'm leaning Giannis. I'm not you know, 100%, I'm leaning pretty hard toward Giannis um, for a variety of reasons, Rome. Uh, The main one is this. You know, I've always said the MVP is not just about individual excellence. It's about team success as well. There's both components. And the the proof of that is the history of the award. There's decades of precedent of mostly guys coming from teams that are top three in their conference, 50 wins or more. Um, And the Bucks more than the Rockets this season, have just been phenomenal from day one through till now and probably to game 82. They're going to have the best record in the league. They're probably going to win 60 games. Giannis has put up monster numbers. The Rockets, you know, they were in a big hole. They were 11-14 and 14 after 25 games. That's not necessarily completely on Harden, but you're part of that. When you are the superstar of a team, when it revolves around you, even if your numbers are good, if your team is not playing well and is capable of doing more, and clearly they were, you have to have some responsibility in that. So I'm not putting it all on him, and it's not the definitive aspect. It's just among the things I'm considering. But the other one, big one is, is this, and that's that Giannis is the linchpin of a defense that's number one in the NBA. 
And so it's, it, he's putting up all the monster numbers on offense. He's also been just a, a wrecking ball on defense. And that's something you can't say for Harden. And, you know, I, I just think that those, those are the factors that right now are pushing me in one direction. I think you make a really persuasive argument. Howard Beck joins us, senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Let me ask you this, though. I mean, is he, Giannis, is he not only the MVP this year, but is he about to take over as the face of the NBA? Is he the next guy after LeBron? It's possible, Jim. I mean, I, the thing is, you know, depending on the season, let's say that Kevin Durant leaves the, the Warriors as basically the entire league expects him to do. And Steph kind of reemerges as the, the centerpiece of that team. Now, I, I would tell you, and certainly people in the Bay Area will tell you, Steph is still regarded as, as the number one face of that team, the heart of that team. But he does less than he might otherwise because Durant is there. If Durant leaves, Curry kind of, I think, you know, comes to the fore a little bit more again. And, you know, he's got a couple of MVPs, but we'll, we'll, we'll weight him differently. And when we talk about face of the league, yes, Giannis is pushing into that realm. And LeBron isn't done yet. I'm convinced he is definitely not done yet. And Steph is lurking there. And Durant might come take over the Knicks. And who knows what he might do for them. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's reasonable to think that Giannis, if he gets this MVP, it will be the first of probably many. He will be a face of the league. The face of the league is a really tough thing to, to have. Like, LeBron's had that. Not too many guys have had that in, in a given you know, five or ten years span. We're talking to Howard Beck. Another very good point. All right, so back to the teams for a minute. It's come up, Howard, over the course of the year, but it's starting to become a reality now. I mean, how good are the Milwaukee Bucks? Are you prepared for a world in which the Bucks host game one of the NBA Finals? <laughs> I've, so, I've told people in Milwaukee this a few times. I've never seen your city in the spring. I'd like to see <laughs> it when it's not like, you know, 20 degrees and sleeting on me. Right. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, Milwaukee in the spring will be just fine. Um, I think that's an exciting team, actually, to watch. I know we always talk about all these small markets and smaller audiences and what, you know, does the league going to, you know, going to have a, 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 uh, an issue with ratings and all this. I, I don't think it's a problem. Giannis is going to draw a crowd. Giannis is going to draw a worldwide audience, in fact, because all of Greece will be watching all the Greek nationals in the U.S. You see them come out for him at every game in every arena. Um, and, and besides that, he's one of the most exciting players in the game today. I think they can make it, Jim. I also think that depending on how the matchups go in the East, you can still make a case, as I've said all along, you can still make a case for Toronto. You can make a case for Boston if they get out of each other's way and just decide to, to play together. You can make a case for Philly. Like, I'm not going to be surprised at any of those four coming out. Howard Beck is joining us right now. All right, Howard, you've got a great piece up on the relationship between Dirk and Dwayne. As you've pointed out, this is not the sexiest rivalry ever, but how much of an impact did they have on each other? Huge impact, and it's funny because if you look at it in the abstract, you would never, ever think, oh, Dirk Nowitzki, Dwayne Wade rivals because they don't play the same position. They, did, they were not in the same conference throughout their careers. They wouldn't be guarding each other. You know, it's not... Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell. It's not Magic and Bird, but they hit each other at, at the moment that matters most. They met in the 2006 finals with Wade winning after the Mavericks had gone up 2-0. They meet again in 2011, and Dirk takes that one, the, the first team to, to knock out the LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh heat. And those two series created the rivalry there are some weird kind of tensions between them or, or the frosty relationship as, as Dirk has termed it. 
And it's based really only on like, you know, a couple weeks in June in 06 and a couple weeks in, in June in, in 2011. But Dirk told me for that story that losing in 2006 changed him. It had an impact and it made him a better player for when they met again. It, it, that's part of what kind of steeled him for being able to win the title in 2011. And Dwayne told me for the same story that losing in 2011 was, you know, the kind of the, the, um, you know, a, a reset for them, where the, way, the Heat walk away and they got to figure out, okay, what what are we? You know, they've just thrown this team together and they get to the finals in year one, and all the expectations in the world. Wade at that point realizes, you know what? I got to hand the reins to LeBron. It, that's how we're going to win. That's how we're going to do this thing. That's how we're going to win titles. And lo and behold, they win the next two championships. And so both guys believe that the other one had a profound effect on them, even as, though they they met only you know rarely in the regular season and and just those two finals there there is so much to this relationship and this rivalry you need to read the piece I can't do it justice here but you want to read the piece let me ask you this though from a global perspective how significant is Dirk and his career massive and you know look it's not just that you know he's you know obviously one of the greatest players ever to come over from Europe and he came over at a time in 99 when you know, we didn't have quite the international population in the NBA. Now it's a quarter of the league. It's 125 players, I think. It was much smaller back then. There was still the knock on Europeans, and especially European big men back then, of they're soft, they're this, they're that, especially if you were a jump shooter, which he was. So he not only helped pave the way for, you know, further generations of international players of, of, of all shapes and sizes to come into the league and be embraced and you know, you can draw a line from, from him to Luka Doncic, his new teammate, for that matter. But on top of that, you know, when Dirk came along, we didn't see a lot of seven-footers sitting out there shooting threes or putting the ball on the deck and driving at guys and playing kind of a perimeter game. That's now all we talk about. That's now the, that's the whole league. That's the whole unicorn trend of guys like Embiid or Porzingis, DeMarcus Cousins, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. Dirk set the template for all those guys. Howard Beck, my guest. Really quickly, Howard, you spoke to Pat Riley for the piece, which is always fascinating. What was that like? How would you describe also where he is right now in his life and his career? I mean, he's still as competitive as ever. And he's still, you know, you just know he wants to, to make one more run with this team. He's, got, he's trying to find a way to get the heat to that level again. And don't be shocked when it happens, because I think it will Talking to him was great. He's got such a great uh, memory, just an encyclopedic memory of everything he's been through. He said, we got on these so many interesting tangents, Jim, that I couldn't even fit in the story because they weren't you know, directly germane to Dirk and Dwayne, but they were things about coaching decisions that he still regrets. And he's telling me like chapter and verse on exactly what happened second by second in these games from 30 years ago. It was, <laughs> it was incredible. He was, he was fantastic. Uh, he made the story. Right, so one more thing. In terms of Zion Williamson, I want to ask you about this. What really is the best comparison for Zion in the NBA, Howard, right now? It's a great question. I'm not sure I have a good answer to that one. Um, you know, he's such a powerful, uh, he's got such a powerful physique and athleticism to him, and so people, you know, get tempted to make those LeBron comparisons. But he's not a LeBron type player. He's not going to come in and be a point forward. That's not that's not who he is. You know, there's a little Charles Barkley in there, I think. Um, I, it's, it's, I think the other problem here is that we don't know what he's going to actually look like on an NBA court. Like, how exactly is it going to play out, and how much more resistance might he have against NBA front lines 
than college front lines. And I'm not saying by any stretch that I think he's going to, you know, somehow fall on his face, but um, it always looks different once you put these guys in an NBA atmosphere. And, you know, the excitement about him is justified. Uh, the hype, I think, is justified. I think people are a little ahead of themselves on this. Um, but, you know, I, I can't wait to see what it's going to look like. No doubt. He is a senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, host of the Full 48 podcast, good friend of the program, too. Howard Beck. Howard, great job. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Always a pleasure Jim. Rack me. You've got real tax questions, right? So TurboTax Live has real tax professionals who can answer them for you. They have CPAs and EAs who are on demand and ready to give you advice and answer questions as you go. Their tax pros get to know you so they can offer personalized suggestions and find all the deductions that you deserve. So whether you're stuck on a specific question or you need guidance working through your return, their tax experts can give you the confidence to ensure your return is done correctly. TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details now at TurboTax.com. Starting in Nashville, Ryan. Good to have you, Ryan. How are you? Jim, it is always a pleasure, my friend. I love what you do. love how long you've done it. Uh, It's a pleasure. Man, I'm calling. It's opening day, Major League Baseball, right? Major League Baseball, opening day. Jim, who are the guys in the room that say, hey, you know what, the NCAA tournament, one of the most popular things on TV, the Sweet 16, is March 28th. I got an idea. Let's open up opening day. Let's compete with that. That is a great idea. Couldn't do it yesterday, Wednesday. There's nothing to compete with except the NIT. Couldn't do it Monday after this weekend. We are going to go head-to-head with the NC Diamond. Was the Super Bowl taken? What are you going to compete against? I don't know if these guys are trying to not have people watch baseball. Being a diehard baseball fan, uh, it it always pains me that the best part of the season's in October. They're competing with the NFL. They're competing with the NCAA college. I understand it's all about money. It's all about money, and I understand that. But I'm racking my brain to understand why you could not open yesterday or the day after the, the Elite Eight. We're going to go head-to-head. Who are people going to watch? Uh, Purdue, Tennessee, or Rockies, Marlins? I mean, there's going to be – yesterday there's no competition. Today you are head-to-head. Jim, I, I, I'm – the average age of a baseball MLB fan is 54 years old. I think the average age inside the room that are making those decisions – are 154. How how they did not check the calendar for that. And, Jim, one more thing before I go. I know Gene Steratore, and I love Gene Steratore. Love him. Great NFL guy. And I know he refereed high school basketball 27 years ago or something, something. Well, when they go to Gene Steratore to break down basketball analysis rules, I, I still – are we going to Ed Hockley next, and he's going to talk about how to break the one-three-one trap? Or, or Cleet, Cleet Blakeman is now going to tell us about free throw. I, I, I can't get Gene Steratore out of the NFL, but boy, we've, we've heard. Wayne Gretzky is going to come in and talk about the Zaroff. Who knows? Who knows? But 
Jim, I appreciate you taking my call. I appreciate how long you've done this. And like I said to start, it's a privilege and a pleasure to always talk to you, my man. Keep doing what you do. Rock him. Hey, Ryan, you appreciate how long I've done this? Your call was longer than I've done this. That was incredible. I just want to let him go. I mean, it's my job. Good job, Ryan. Really appreciate you. Rack that call. Let's go back to Southfield. Jeff in Southfield. Damn, Jeff, welcome back. What's up? Hey, Romy. I don't know who that guy was the other day, pretended to be me, but it definitely was not me. That sounded like Mike and Indy. Mike and Indy pretended to be Jeff in Southfield is the only way Mike and Indy is going to even sniff a solo smack off title. Over the bridesmaid, hey, little Mikey. Secondarily, Roman, Brad and Corona, you are a cow, a soft, dumb, doe-eyed cow, standing in a field waiting for the butcher to come out to chop you with a tri-tip so Big Daddy Beaks can throw you on the barbecue and smoke you for about four and a half hours with some cherry wood. Third and Daryl Roman, left, you are the sketchiest, twitchiest individual in the jungle. You are like a sketchy little access deer poking his head up above the tree line so you can see if there are any predators. Well, there are predators, Laffy Taffy. There are. So run on home. And finally, Daryl Romy, I'll leave you with these words of wisdom. Don't ever, ever, ever leave your girlfriend alone with Molly Crew. They will have sex with her. Wow. That's a fake Jeff in Southfield. And finally, Romy, don't you ever, ever, ever leave your girlfriend at home with Molly Crew. War Lady Clones. Liz, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Jim. You know, I get irritated every time I hear Dan in Denver call. But, dude, stop trying to be Matt in Vancouver. You're doing a very poor job at it. And, you know, I am a lady clone, so I'm kind of an aficionado on men's looks. Matt in Vancouver is hot. Dan, you are freaking Sasquatch, dude. Find your own brand. Get your own stick. And, you know, just step it up. I'm out. All right, Liz. You got that, Dan? You're a Sasquatch. Dan in Denver is here to respond. What's up, Dan? Hey, Matt. Or hey, Jim. Hey, Matt. Quick reminder. You're a caller to a radio show and a bad one at that. You had a 25-second call where you called someone a bitch and a penis. Hey, Matt. If you don't have anything funny to say, just don't call. That's what Laugh, Mike, Mark, and Vic do. Laugh not calling is somehow funnier than Matt calling. But, man, I'd love to get some of that run Matt got yesterday for that 25-second masterpiece. So, Jim, bear with me here while I give Matt a taste of his own medicine. <clears throat> so, Pippity Pimp, what's going on, Roby Rome? It's smack-off season, and I got a little taste for Matt and Bland. Yo, Matt, come get some of this, fool. You ain't nothing but a penis bitch. Peace. Matt, I know wearing a reflective vest, OSHA-certified helmet, and driving a city-issued truck affords you the time to call the show, email the show, and tweet the show. But it doesn't afford you much more than that. And if you're going to spend that much time on the jungle, at least finish higher than 10th in the smack-off. Imagine Matt interviewing for a real job. So, Matt, tell us some of your weaknesses. <clears throat> well, actually, my work weaknesses are really a strength. You know, there's this radio show where I'm a prominent caller, emailer, and tweeter, and then I host a podcast about those things. Unfortunately, it's right in the middle of the workday, so I'll need a little bit of time for that. Matt, you're a loser. I don't care if I get my golden ticket ripped for not having enough puns or not calling people penises and bitches. Take it, Jim. I'll rip it back. I don't care. I just want to let you know, the clones know, and Matt know what an unfunny, unoriginal bag he is. 
Dan in Denver. And now the big question. Am I going to snatch that ticket back? No? You're good, Dan. You live to fight another day. Jeff, is that you? Jim, thanks for the vine. And thanks for the time. And as usual, Jim, Jeff from Richmond is here to move the needle. As usual, Jim, Jeff from Richmond is here to elevate the conversation. But most importantly, Jim, Jeff from Richmond is here to positively impact your bottom line, Jim, because as a made man, Jim, with a 20-year chip in this here jungle, I can always guarantee you, the XR4TI crew, Jim, and, of course, the morally bankrupt clones, Jim, that any time you see the name Jeff from Richmond on the marquee, you know, Jim, that business is about to pick up. Jim, I first of all want to say for the record that the level of synergy and cohesiveness between Jim Rome Entertainment LLC and CBS Television, Jim, is outstanding, outstanding. It's very similar, Jim, to the synergy and cohesiveness we see from that world-class toolbox, Matt from L.A., San Quentin from L.A., in that clown suit my man sews himself into every time he calls your program. Memo to Matt from L.A. Pelican Bay from L.A. Zip your gap, my man, because every time you call the program, you take all the oxygen right out of the room. Here's the new protocol in my jungle, Matt, and that is this. Anytime you see the name Jeff from Richmond on the marquee, when my name goes up, Matt, your mouth goes shut. And by the way, Matt, how does it feel to get smashed up Luke Gallo style on national television? It doesn't matter how you feel, Matt. Finally, Jim, very quickly, by every measurable standard, Jim, Jeff from Richmond has lived a charmed life. By every measurable standard, Jim, my cup literally runneth over. Look at the facts, Jim. I was born into a life of privilege in the great Commonwealth of Virginia, Jim, the 804. Number two, Jim, I formed a beautiful family unit, as you can see from the best sports photo montage and all of sports entertainment behind you. Number three, Jim, Jeff from Richmond was taught at a very young age, Jim, that hard work is undefeated. And as a result, Jim, I built a state-of-the-art asset management firm from the ground floor over the last 30 years. But, Jim, there's one area I've fallen woefully short, and I want you to listen to this. Every morning, Jim, when I roll out of the rack, I walk into my exclusive walk-in closet, Jim, and it's like a fashion show in there. Armani, Versace, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Prada. But in the left-hand corner of that closet, Jim, there sits and hangs only one coveted green jacket. It's got the Jim Rome logo on it. It's one of my most prized possessions, but it reminds me I've fallen short, Jim. The bottom line is this, Jim. Give me the opportunity in the 25th Great American Smack-Off to bring the most coveted prize in this industry back to its rightful home, Jim, the Commonwealth. Jim, I can get it done. I can get it done. More importantly, Jim, I got to get it done. And for all you morally bankrupt clones 
across a fruited plain, I say this to you. Who wants to walk with Jeff from Richmond? Jim, thank you for your time. Aloha means goodbye. War Commonwealth of Virginia. War WWE superstar Carl Anderson and his hot Asian wife. War Adam Hawk reserving a small piece of real estate on the back of his sled to put that 26.2 sticker. War Matt from L.A. getting his jacked-up chiclets fixed by having detailed discussions with actor Steve Buscemi. War Logan Rome using copious amounts of hair product to get his lettuce just right. War Mr. Automatic Jay Stew without the nicks and cuts of a blade. And until next time, Jim... Good night now! Jeff from Richmond. Cal in Vegas. He wants in. Hey, Cal, what's up? Yeah, Jeff in Richmond's awesome. He's so awesome. That's why he got scared and hung up the phone in last year's smack-off. Anyway, I'd like to congratulate Adam Hawk for finishing the L.A. Marathon. I mean, I guess you could call that running. I mean, you look like you were breakdancing out there. And I was surprised at how well Keith Arnold did. Keith, you don't even look athletic. With your little bird chest and that huge gut. Hey, Jim, yesterday Rex questioned the fact that I'm in the smack-off. Rex, the reason I'm in the smack-off is because I moved the needle and I got game. Hell, I created smack-off season. Before I got here, smack-off season was nothing but a couple of perverted RSVP calls from Vic and Brad. Rex also questions the fact that I'm a professional gambler. Rex, I've already made enough money off of March Madness to buy 10 Rolexes, but I'm not going to do that because I'm smart. Rex, nothing is more pathetic than cashing out your 401k just so you can sport a Rolex on TV. Hey, Jim, I also enjoyed the highlights of Jeff and Southfield's roadie across the armpit of the nation. Jeff, let me fill you in on a little secret. Talented and educated people from the Midwest don't stay there. That's why it's such a dump. I mean, you're left with idiots like Josh in Detroit and big fat nerds like Caleb in Green Bay. And one more thing. A while back, that four-eyed freak Rick in Buffalo came in here and said he was coming to Vegas during spring break to, quote, kick my ass. Rick, you ain't going to do nothing. What's happening, partner? I ain't that hard to find. As soon as you get down here, I'm putting you in a chokehold, and I'm not letting go until your face turns the same color as your bright red alcoholic nose. Nice job, Cal. What's happening, partner? He normally does. Showed a little bit of a different angle and cracked Matt in L.A. I said it was only a matter of time before Matt called, and sure enough, here he is. Yo, Matt, what's up? How are you? Snagger Vance, how pathetically insecure must one be if he's a card-carrying smack-off winner, begging, and I mean groveling like swine, to the pimp in the box to take his call on the Adam Ears 25th annual Silver Anniversary Smack-Off. Damn, that's sad, son. But Jeff Skull, you're right about one thing. When Jeff the Ranch Hand is on the marquee, business is booming. Problem is, it's business for the Roadkill Cafe. Because you and your eight youngins pulled up, ate all the mongoose mac and cheese, the black crow fillets, and the badger paw salad. So the rest of the Knicks and the VA are pissed off at you. So stand down, you catfishing coop, because we still have seen no evidence of any of this BS 
that you keep boasting about, you geritol popping geriatric jag bag. That's all I got, Jim. War Belly Clarkson holding up food banks by gunpoint. War James Kelly's pipe cleaner arms and beehive forehead. That's how it's done, Jeff. Outro. That's how it's done, Jeff. <laughs> all right, then. Good night.